Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple-minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia, of insight, and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the tragedy of cinema's Twilight Zone. It looked extremely rocky for the Mudville Nine that day. The score stood two to four, but with one inning left to play. So, when Cooney died at second, and Burroughs did the same, a pallor wreathed the features of the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go, leaving there the rest, with that hope that springs eternal. Within the human breast. (laughs) For they thought, if only Casey could get a whack at that, they'd put even money now with Casey at the bat. But Flynn preceded Casey, and likewise so did Blake. And the former was a puddin', and the latter was a fake. So on that stricken multitude, a death-like silence sat, for there seemed but little chance of Casey's getting to the bat. But Flynn let drive a single to the wonderment of all, and the much-despised Blake tore the cover off the ball. (laughs) And when the dust had lifted, and they saw what had occurred... There was Blake safe at second, and Flynn a hugging third. <laughs> then from the gladdened multitude went up a joyous yell. It rumbled in the mountaintops, it rattled in the dell. It struck upon the hillside and rebounded on the flat. For Casey, mm, mighty Casey was advancing to the bat. There was an ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. There was pride in Casey's bearing and a smile on Casey's face. And when responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat. No stranger in the crowd could doubt 
was Casey at the bat. Ten thousand eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. Five thousand tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. Then when the writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip, Defiance glanced in Casey's eye, and a sneer curled Casey's lips. And now the leopard-covered sphere came hurtling through the air, and Casey stood a-watching it in a haughty grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball on heated sped. That ain't my style, said Casey. Strike one, the umpire said. From the benches black with people There went up a muffled roar Like the beating of a storm wave On the stern and distant shore Kill him! Kill the umpire! Shouted someone on the stand And it's likely they'd have killed him Had not Casey raised his hand With a smile of Christian charity Great Casey's visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult, and he made the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the spheroid flew, but Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, Strike two. <laughs> Frog cried the maddened thousands, and the echo answered, Frog! But one scornful look from Casey and the audience was all. <laughs> they saw his face grow stern and cold. They saw his muscles strain. And they knew that Casey wouldn't let the ball go by again. <laughs> the sneer is gone from Casey's lips. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel vengeance, his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball. And now he lets it go. And now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Somewhere in this favored land The sun is shining bright The band is playing somewhere And somewhere hearts are light And somewhere men are laughing And somewhere children shout But there is no joy in Mudville Mary Casey has struck out What you're looking at is a ghost, once alive but now deceased. Once upon a time, it was a baseball stadium that housed a major league ball club known as the Hoboken Zephyrs. Now it houses nothing but memories and a wind that stirs in the high grass of what was once an outfield. A wind that sometimes bears a faint ghostly resemblance to the roar of a crowd that once sat here. We're back in time now, when the Hoboken Zephyrs was still a part of the National League. And this mausoleum of memories was an honest-to-peat stadium. 
But since this is strictly a story of make-believe, it has to start this way. Once upon a time in Hoboken, New Jersey, it was tryout day. No, he's not yet on the field. You're about to meet a most unusual fella. A left-handed pitcher named Casey. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast, the Twilight Zone series. I'm your host, Jimbo. And once again, I'm joined by my good friend and colleague... ADZ here 80s. in the Southern Lair once again. <laughs> Southern Lair. Episode... Sounds so wrong. I, know. The... I borrowed it from a, a popular podcast that I listen to. They they call their podcasting uh, studio the Southern Lair. I thought it was pretty cool. So, <laughs> and since you are the, on the south side of Indianapolis, it, it fits. We call this the Den. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The the Den or uh, the Man Cave. The Man Cave. You, you kind of dubbed it the Man Cave. Yeah. So. Here we are once again. We're really coming down to the end of season one now. This episode and one more after this. Um, this episode, <laughs> you can always tell by the dejection and detested my voice, is <laughs> not very good. Um, there's no way to cut around it. I'm sure we'll get to feelings of why, but it is the mighty Casey. <laughs> no, it's not a gigantic King Kong creature running around. No, it's not a flesh-eating creature from the underworld. It's about a baseball guy, yeah, pitcher. Yeah. Oddly so. enough, we are planning to attend a baseball game, a minor league game, later on this evening. So it kind of kind of fits. Kind of fits, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? I'm not even going to go because I'm not even going to be in the mood after discussing this horrible <laughs> it tragedy. Might ruin it. <laughs> well, interesting enough, though, that the episode is based on a poem called "Casey at the Bat," written by Ernest Thayer, T H A Y E R. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it was written in 1888. And uh, actually, I'm going to insert um, Jackie Gleason at the beginning of this episode. He uh, recites the poem, and uh, he does it in a really funny way, which kind of fits. There were two different versions. There was a James Earl Jones version, <clears throat> which is a more serious and maybe more deliberate um, rendition of the poem. But Jackie Gleason, it's pretty. Hopefully, you guys will get some laughs out of it. It's pretty funny, and I'll stick that in at the the beginning of you know our episode here. Um, but with that, you want me to go ahead and launch in, Jimbo, or do you have any other introductory comments? Jump, jump right in. Let's get right. it over with. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the Mighty Casey, The Twilight Zone, Season 1, Episode Number 35, and it was directed by Robert Parrish. And not the, not no, the we're Robert not Parrish that joke again. We're not going to use that joke. We've, we've worn that one out, haven't we? And Alvin Ganser, uh, those were the two directors. Uh, the, it was written by Rod Serling. And the original air date was um, June 17, 1960. And the total production cost was $46,823.40. And adjusted for inflation, that looks to be $431,855.70 with an 822% uh, increase for inflation. And by the way, just as a side note, because there's a lot in the background of this episode that is way more interesting than the actual episode. Wow, yeah. Um, just, we'll, we'll get to that as we uh, methodically plot along through here, but um, there actually was a, a production retake because the original actor, Jimbo, do you have yep. his name? Paul Rod, or Paul Douglas. Thank you. Paul Douglas, I, his name was slipping my mind. He actually passed away shortly after the the first episode taping wrapped. And so they had to go back in and do some retakes. And standing in was Jack Warden as Mouth McGarry. Um, and he was actually in one of the do first you, episodes. Do you know that um, they finished filming this, I think, on a, a, a Tuesday? 
Okay. And he was dead by Saturday wow. or something like that. Yeah, and it I was knew. really short after him. That's why they said he kind of looked weird, like like just right because he face. was kind of a heavy set, kind of chunky guy or something, something like that. And he was really thin during the the production, I guess. And he had lost a lot of weight, and he was very ill during the uh, the, the making of the episode. Yeah. So Sterling. Um, after they discovered that he died, instead of reshooting the whole thing, right. he actually fronted his own $27,000, I believe it was, to yeah, I read uh, that. bring in Jack Warden. Mm-hmm. And they, did, they, only, they only did the bare minimum that they needed to do for reshoots because it was so expensive to reshoot the whole entire thing. So it's actually spliced together. It's not a, a total reshoot. Yeah, and I have some of the numbers here, which kind of... I saw the same figures, the 27000 that Rod had to come out of pocket, I guess. Uh, but here's the numbers I got out of the book that for the retakes. It says the, the Mighty Casey dates filming the April 12th and 13th, 1960. The sound dubbing uh, was completed in May 13th, 1960. It's interesting to note, too, just as by way of a side note. Apparently, this originally, the episode was supposed to come out around Christmas time, 1959. And because of the, you know, the death of, I forgot his name again already, the original. Paul Douglas. Paul Douglas. I apologize. The the death of the untimely death of Paul Douglas, they had you know to do the reshoots and the retakes and all that stuff, and that was one of the reasons why it was such kind of a, a lighter episode, more right. comedic. And they, did, they didn't want to capitalize on his death either; yeah. just rush it out there so to take away from yeah. his death. Too. And they didn't. Feel but he was a known drinker. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so was, they thought they thought he was just drunk on the set. Right. And he's it like was, I'm not drinking. You yeah. Know it was I mean. well known that he was he liked the bottle. Right. Um, <laughs> So anyway, uh, let me get down to the the nitty gritty here. The, the bottom line for the production reshoot, I have a number of twenty one thousand two hundred one sixty four cents. So maybe it ended up in the end that Rod had to come up with some more money for other reasons. But yeah, well, the number maybe, the twenty one and the twenty seven didn't match up. But well, maybe it the six thousand is what, what he paid the actor. To maybe come in and just yeah. reshoot it. You know what I mean? So it says here uh, a twenty one thousand dollar reshoot production cost so really when you add the 20 what are you looking at uh, like 67 68,000 for this episode when all was said and done yeah um so i got all those numbers uh jimbo you want to take the cast sure now there's a lot of different baseball players in here i didn't go through and list all right, i just right. named the three major ones that you see in this um you had jack warden as mcgarry and oddly enough, one of he is in one of the probably one of the best movies I've seen in a long time um, that I had never seen before. Before we started this podcast, he's in Twelve Angry Men. Oh, was it? Where he plays Juror Number Seven. Um, that is a great film if you have not seen it, and you can check out our review on the yeah. the main episode page. Um, then you had Robert Sorrells as Casey. Uh, he was probably most famous for Fletch, the Chevy Chase movie Fletch, where he played uh, Marvin Stanwyck. Mm-hmm. And you had Abraham Sofair as Dr. Stillman. So um, those were the top three that I chose to uh, show and give some uh, backing to. So Yeah, I got you. Um, Jack Warden was also in an earlier episode of The Twilight Zone. Was it the Lone um, episode? Is the he's in the Lonely. On, uh, the Lonely. The Lonely, right. Yeah, yeah uh, it's another robot one, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. I, yeah, I remember that way back when we did that review. Um well, about a year ago, probably now at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, tech specs are—I'm not going to go over those again. Those are all pretty much the same. Uh, it's a black and white episode, of course, and we'll get to the, some differences in uh, okay. season two. Speaking of that, yes, sir. Do you think you would enjoy um, the Twilight Zones if they redid them in color? I don't think they. I don't think I would like it. 
I don't think it would have the same effect. Would Would you I, like it? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, there would be a couple I might want to see, but for the most part, I think it would lose its yeah. its uh, the lighting and the shock value yeah, the and flavor all that. Right. of the the whole. Yeah, I think that kind of goes hand in glove with yeah how it's produced right. and how we perceive it and everything. Um, the plot: Mouth McGarry is the manager of the Hoboken Zephyrs. Which I can't. The Mouth McGarry. Mouth McGarry. They've got some Hoboken Zephyrs, and it's just which um, they were a professional baseball team in I think New Jersey. They were perennial losers, and boy, we were just talking about this off the air. How we were on some pretty sad baseball teams growing up, and we we were like the bad news bears. Me and Jimbo, we <laughs> we had some horrible teams in our think, elementary school days. We don't think we won game. a single game. <laughs> So, it didn't help that our our school mascot name was the Trojans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were also perennial losers, and uh, it was awesome if we even got uh, a, a base hit. We were ecstatic. Um, they uh, they were so far back in the standings, I'm back on the plot, that they had no chance of winning the pennant. McGarry is approached by Dr. Stillman, who has a solution for him. Casey, who seems to be an ideal pitcher, the best McGarry has ever seen. Um, the catch is that Casey is a robot. McGarry is eager to win and decides to use Casey without telling anyone. When his ruse is discovered, Dr. Stillman agrees to give Casey a heart to make him more human. The results aren't quite what McGarry had hoped for. <laughs> or, so corny. The, I, can't even, I can't even read this. It sounds so dumb. <laughs> no, I, I ain't gonna lie. Uh, you, you might want to start the episode so we can yeah. catch up, but... Uh, I ain't gonna lie. I did laugh a couple times in this Oops, episode. I skipped all the way to the end. It's over. <laughs> the end. And that's a wrap. No. But I, I did find myself laughing a couple times in this episode. Um, when he what he does well, like so cool. when he does his slow pitch and he's like, with that noise, woo, Yeah, I wrote that down. Yeah, the sound effects are <laughs> are spot on, dude. Yeah, and even the calisthenics as they're opening up. I mean these guys look like clowns. Uh, and I know it's supposed to, you know, be have levity in it and everything. The, the episode is well, lighthearted. It's a, it was his episode of trying to uh, be comedic. It's a it's a comedy episode of the Twilight Zone, which right. I don't think comedy belongs in Twilight Zone. Personally, they they don't really do it very well. I mean, no. on very rare occasion. I mean, there are some actors or actresses, as we're going to see in the next episode, that have some good zingy one liners, and they they, they do are comedy. Funny. Yeah, they are funny, but. As a general rule, as an overarching uh, aspect of the episode, the whole episode being funny, it just doesn't work. Well, I mean, this is the first time we've seen it in the season one where the whole episode is based on comedy. Now, I don't know about future episodes we get to that he tries to spin it on comedy again. I don't know because I haven't seen them all. That's why another reason we're doing this podcast. But we'll get back to that and let you know. Yeah. But um, this one is just, I think he missed his mark. Yeah, Mr. Beavis was kind of lighthearted. But it, it was... But it still had a story. Yeah, it had a moral. It had a, it had a twist. Yeah, and it had more of a... It was kind of sweet and how he you know the character and, and he was kind hearted and yeah it wasn't trying to be wacky zany you know blooper Slapstick, type, yeah, yeah blooper type stuff anyway um did you have any trivia off the top that you wanted to walk as we walk through the episode because i really don't want to comment on it too much i mean other than <laughs> he's ready just to get this one over with uh, you get it to- just it uh, yeah i mean i I so guess we were, we're spend a lot of the time in the backdrop of the actual episode with the we'll we'll get to the a lot of the things that happened outside of the episode. Right. Now if I remember, I think they're only four games out of the pennant race when they start, I believe. 
because there's no way they would make it to the pennant race if not. So yeah. they're not they're not as you would say like uh, Cubs fans do every year they're mathematically eliminated at the yeah. beginning of the season. Right. But um, so this this guy's like, hey, who's who's the pitcher? He's like, eh, whoever anybody I can you, whoever yeah. I can throw in there, anybody can throw a ball down there. He's like, I just I just rotate people around and around and around, you know. So whoever whoever whatever any given day, it's a different pitcher. So this. Uh, would you call him a, a, a scientist, a professor? I don't know who exactly yeah. who he is, but uh, he comes out there. He's like, "Hey, uh, how's it going?" You know, he's like, "Well, yeah." The general manager doesn't he get a call from the dugout and like they got a pitcher and then you know, a mouth McGarry's like, "Yeah, whatever, bring whoever. I'll take anybody at this point." And you know, you can tell that the general manager and McGarry don't get along <laughs> at all. And so then, so they bring this guy down, and, and Jimbo, that's exactly they bring the, the scientist, Doctor Stillman. Yeah, and, and he's he, like. Uh, well, I got a player that you might want to look at. He's a, he's a pitcher, and he's like, well, well, where is he? He's like, well, he's coming out. And this dude comes out, dude, and you're just like, what? <laughs> this is where he's standing there in the dugout with no hat on or helmet or whatever, and then the foul ball goes over. Yeah, that's the plops it right on the head. And he doesn't yeah. flinch. Yeah. <laughs> Which here's another little well, side trivia. Yeah, well, uh, but I want to I want to bring that up to you right now. Okay. okay, it just hits him in the head, right? Okay. Then he gets beamed later right? in the episode from a That's pitch. That's a continuity error, That's right? Like, how does he get hurt from a pitch later? the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was like, because that probably hurt a lot worse than, well, I don't know. It just depends on where it hit him. But I was just like, that didn't make sense to me right there either. Well, so. I just saw this as an exterior um, shot. I never noticed this before. But let me just go ahead and give you this bit of trivia. It says, All the scenes in the ballpark were filmed on location at Wrigley Field. Yes, Los Angeles has its own Wrigley Field located at 435 East 42nd Place. Permission to film at the ballpark was granted uh, through Lefty Phillips and Dick Walsh of the L.A. Dodgers. The cost uh, for permission was $750 per shooting day, and approximately $35 per day was paid to the groundskeeper and to tend to the grounds. And it, by way of interest, I never noticed this before, but on some of the outfield pan shots, you can see palm, palm trees. trees. <laughs> and this is located, supposedly located in New Jersey. And there's no palm trees. Right, so that was a little blooper there that you could kind of see. I do like when Casey comes out and he shakes the guy's hand, you know, it's like... Yeah, he crushes his hand. I mean... <laughs> It's just <laughs> it's some of the oldest gags in the book. I know. You know it's like, but when he goes out there and he's like, "Well, well his pitch is the first pitch." He throws, he throws his first pitch, and it's the fastball. He's like, "That's his fastball." You know, you don't see it, but the catcher comes up and is like mid smoking. Yeah, you know, smoke where, coming off. He's the like, bed. "Ha!" Yeah. yeah. He's like, "Well, that was his fastball," and he's like. Uh, oh, he's like, give me the curveball. <laughs> he throws the curveball, and it's just it's looping. The, you see the batter swinging like two times. <laughs> trying to swing yeah, out. Like, reminds me of like the Looney Tunes or, yeah, or Three Stooges yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he gives him the slow ball, and, and the professor's like, oh, he's late. <laughs> you know I mean? just, yeah, you can totally see too. Like again, the camera shots of you can see. Um, what's his name? Robert Sorrells as Casey. He'll do the wind up, and then the camera shot changes, and then a real pitcher is actually pitching. Yeah, you can you can really tell like <laughs> with the camera shots. I think there was only one camera shot where I saw later in the episode where it, he actually threw it, and the camera stayed on him the whole way, and it just looked really <laughs> weird. You can tell that. Yeah, I thought that was kind of kind of funny. Yeah, it's just zany slap, like you said, slapstick from like start to finish, pretty much. And so you know. Dr. Stillman is, because eh, what is, 
um, what does Mouth McGarry say? Well, how old is he? And he's like, well, oh, you know. Depends on what you mean by that. Yeah. And they kind of go through this um, conversation he while said, they're watching say, a couple days ago, A couple days ago? I just yeah. made him a couple days ago or something like that? Yeah, because he's a robot. And then, that's corny too, when he throws a slow pitch and Dr. Stillman looks at his watch. And he says, he's, he's like, late. He's a little late on that pitch. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just kind of corny. But being a... a See, more, look, there's that, there's that camera yeah. angle that changes and you can tell that it's like a real... At least. And I like how he goes over and he stands behind there like the umpire. He's like, let me see that fastball again. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he's, he's like, I don't care. I'll take him. And then he calls his... Uh, who's he called? The person to hire him. He's like, I need a contract up that says something about... What's he say? That has to be in the contract about um, oil changes or batteries or... I forget what he says. He says something like that because he's a robot. Right. He's like, never mind. I, I'll, I'll tell you later or whatever. Right. And then... So the general manager comes down and... <clears throat> excuse me. Then he meets... Um, Casey, Casey, yeah, he meets Casey, and and then you know they start they start playing like the next scene they start playing games, which is another question. I don't know. Back in the sixties, didn't they have rotation rules? Even I know in modern, you have five pitch starting pitchers usually in modern MLB, and then they had to rotate. I know it was different, like in Cy Young's day, like a guy could pitch just as much as or as little as he wanted to. Yeah, I don't think so, but. Um if this isn't true, I mean, it says he what he pitched like every game, sh- three or four shutouts. That newspaper article says, right. remember, so Which, that would never happen. Well, of course, it makes sense because he's a robot; he can pitch every day. And he's not going to get tired. tired, right? But like, yeah, a pitcher is not going to pitch four straight shutouts in a row. You know, with baseball day, players right. every, playing every day, yeah. Right. So I thought that was kind of. So then we come to the uh, the dreaded game where <laughs> Casey gets beamed. Right, and ends up in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, this is so that just is just to me, you know, that like the doctor's there and he's like looking in his eyes, and then he's like, uh, "Let me hear your heartbeat." <laughs> you know, right. I mean? and he's searching around there <laughs> for a pulse heartbeat. and everything. And he's like, right. I don't understand. And it. so the doctor, they have a discussion, right, with the general manager, and he and he discovers the doctor discovers he doesn't have a heartbeat. He's tapping on his watch and trying to find a heartbeat. And he says, I have to report this to the commissioner of baseball. And then they, the commissioner comes in in the next scene in the uh, the operate, no, the, 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 the room, the, what do you call it? The, the, know, the waiting room. The, not the waiting room. It's not the waiting room. Uh, what do you call that? No, it's not <laughs> I don't know. I've been in a lot of them. It's in a hospital room. Yeah, hospital, hospital room. Yeah. room. Yeah. So the recovery room. I don't know. Whatever. So the doctor comes back with the commissioner of baseball and he reads from the rule book that it has to be a man nine men he told him to cough and there's that mechanical sound remember when he goes to call (laughs) and so they come the commissioner comes in agreement with the physician and the general manager and the man you know the the manager of the hoboken zephyrs they come to an agreement that well if dr what is his name, Doctor? You, you, really, you can really tell I'm into this, Doctor Stillman. If he can put a heart in Casey, then he would kind of classify him for the rest of the season. They, they would allow him to play the rest of the season out, and because he tell would be human, yeah, and then yeah. review it after and the review and can reconsider at the end of the season. I'm just still shocked as he got beamed, and he's in a bed. If he's a robot, why couldn't the doctor that made him just fix that part of him and send him back out there? 
Or you, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, you're you're trying to make sense out of a nonsensical <laughs> episode. It's from start to finish. It's just yeah. This is one of Eric's favorites. In case yeah. you can't tell, yeah, I've been dreading this one from <laughs> since like one. day three. I think. Yeah. So uh, we've already come to the. Well, so Casey gets his operation, he gets a new heart, and let's fast forward this. After he comes, he after he gets his surgery, oh yeah, I wanted to point this out. If you notice in the scene after he has his surgery, there's an oil can on the headboard, and that's a throwback. Uh, that's a callback to the Wizard of Oz yeah. and the Tin Man. I think they put that in there for that prop in for effect, because he's a robot. Uh, the next scene, we were the in the Tin locker Man wasn't room. a robot. Well, I know, but that's what I read. That they I they did a throwback, you know, to the Ten Men. But yeah, whatever. And the heart, the whole heart issue, and right. everything. I guess. So we come back to the locker room, and they're about to go out and play the game. And you know, Mouth McGarry is sort of he's dejected because he doesn't think Casey's going to make it back. Um, that the surgery might not have been a success and that he's not going to be able to make it back to pitch for him. And then his pennant aspirations are thrown out the window and they're going to lose out and he's, you know, he's probably going to get fired, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a pretty, the locker room is really dejected. And then Casey shows up at the last moment and then he goes out and plays the game. And what, well, happens, does what happens to the game in the game, Jimbo? He's a, uh... Well, I guess I would say he pitches like the rest of the pitchers. He gets, he gets rung up. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he's throwing basically meatballs, and the reason be- that he is not a good pitcher anymore, the doctor explains, is because he doesn't know about competitiveness. And now that he has a heart, he has compassion, he and therefore he can't. He strike just, these people yeah, out. He just can't see striking these nice people out anymore. <laughs> and so they just they go wall to wall with this dude. I mean, they rake him. I mean, they were scored like fifteen runs, and every every hit was just yeah. And so the Hoboken Zephyrs they lose the game. And therefore, they go on to lose, I believe, the rest of their games. And uh, it's all because of Casey and because he feels compassion now. And he apologizes and he's a super nice guy. He's a super nice robot now and he smiles and, you know, he can't strike anybody And he says, the doctor says, I can go. I need a new career um, that I want to help people. So he's going into... Right, yeah, uh, yeah, I forgot that. What's he going into? Uh, Counseling or something, yeah, I think something like that. But what's on that paper at the end when he There's picks schematics. up the papers? Okay. Um, so because the doctor says, "Here, I'll leave this as a parting gift," and he gives him the schematics to Casey. You know the robot schematics. And you see him running after. Yeah, you see him running after. Hey, doc. Hey, doc. And they, you know, they're they. He runs across the field after him, and then you know Rod Serling's narration kind of gives a, a cool summary. And I got a little piece of trivia about that, too, um, uh, about Rod Serling's um, final narration and how it relates to real baseball. There were two mm-hmm. real baseball players mentioned. Yep. Did you catch that? Joe DiMaggio yeah, was Maggio. one. I can't think of the um, other one. I got it right here. Uh, let me see. Maybe it's on the back page here. DiMaggio and DeRocher. Yeah. Uh, DeRocher played from 1925 to 1945, included as a playing uh, player and manager from 1939 to 1945. 
He was a manager for several different teams from 1945 to 1973. Joe DiMaggio played his entire entire career, 1936 to 1951, with the New York Yankees, the evil empire. Uh, but he also served in the U.S. Arm, uh, Army Air Force from 1943 to 1945 during World War II. Okay. DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak in 1941 is a record that still stands as of 2019 completed season. Okay. And here's related to Rod's ending narration. I have my trivia note right here in front of me. It says, Serling's ending narration was more prophetic than he probably could ever imagine. He says that there's a rumor, unsubstantiated of course, that a manager named McGarry took them to the West Coast and wound up with several pennants and a couple world championships. He's talking about the Hoboken Zephyrs. This team had a pitching staff that made history. The Brooklyn Dodgers had already moved to Los Angeles two years before by team owner Walter O'Malley, but in the following season after this aired, 1961, Sandy Koufax emerged as a future Hall of Famer, winning 129 games over the next six seasons with an ERA of 219. His teammate, Don Drysdale, won 111 games with an ERA of 288. The Dodgers won three pennants, 1963, 65, and 66, in those six years, and won two World Series in 1963 and 65. So that's pretty cool. Like His ending prophetic narration was came to fruition with the Brooklyn, then L.A. Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Zephyrs uniforms have a uh, National League 75th anniversary patch on the left sleeve, which would place the setting of the story in 1951. Okay. Uh, like we said earlier, this is the second Twilight Zone story pairing uh, Jack Warden with a human robot, the first being the lonely, as we shouted out mm-hmm. earlier in the thing. The Mighty Casey is the lowest rated That's episode what I'm talking about. of the first season. <laughs> <laughs> exactly where it should be. Oh, man. Yeah, so... Uh, Eric, you got anything else before? Yeah, we I got a couple more trivia. See notations. how you think of this movie. The first, of, the first officially recorded game of baseball took place in Hoboken, New Jersey, in 1846 between the Knickerbocker Club and the New York Nine at Elizan Fields. And um, let's see, as far as trivia goes, I think I do just have like a little bit of a biopic. Uh, I don't know when you want to get to that of Robert Sorrells. I don't know if you want to save that Go for, for the end. Uh, just we talked earlier about how the the surrounding cloud around this episode, the drama around the episode was probably greater than the episode itself. As on July twenty fourth, two thousand four, Sorrels, who played Casey, was drinking in a bar in Simi Valley, California, when he became belligerent, and another patron, Arthur DeLong, forcibly escorted Sorrels from the bar. Sorrels went home, got his pistol, and returned to the bar where he shot DeLong in the back at point-blank range, killing him. Sorrels had then shot a bystander named Edward Sanchez, with whom he had no previous interaction. Now, I read other articles that said both Sanchez and the other guy, DeLong, actually escorted him out at the same time because, I guess, well, the bar owner threw him out, but he had gotten into a confrontation with a lady or something, or he was, you know kind of hitting on a lady or something and, and it, it got out of hand and the bar owner told him to leave so those two guys sort of escorted him out the first time and then he you know Sorrels came back with his gun and shot one and killed one and then severely injured the other man Sanchez and then he fled the scene in his Volkswagen van but was was arrested a short distance away Sorrels was charged with one count of premeditated murder and one count of attempted premeditated murder Sorrels initially pled not guilty for reason of insanity, but entered a guilty 
uh, plea in 2005, like about a year later. In July 2005, he was sentenced to 32 years to life. And um, he died, I think, 12 years into a sentence. Um, he, he obviously didn't make... Um, but he was... It's really sad because he, he kind of played the cowboy roles. According to IMDb, he was in a lot of, like, Bonanza. And he, he normally played, like, a rough-and-tough kind of cowboy roles in the 60s and so forth. Um, and Gunsmoke, and he was in Rawhide and Bonanza. And to have something like that happen to you that late in your life, that's um, just really kind of a sad ending to... You know, he was a pretty mm-hmm. decent actor in his day, and, and he was a working actor. I can't remember the exact number of credits that he had um, to his IMDb page, but, yeah, it's just kind of sad that, uh, that that happened in his life. And, you know, to have such a iconic, well, maybe iconically bad episode that you're, <laughs> you know, the main, one of the main characters, and then, yeah, it just kind of was um, sad. Yeah. Along with... The other issues with uh, you know Paul Douglas and his bad drinking habits and you know how that all played out and him passing away. So there's a lot of external things that you know go along with this episode that make it bad as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not just bad on screen; it's bad off screen as well. Uh, yeah, I think you could safely say that. So Erica, why don't you tell me really how you feel about this episode now? I didn't like it. Uh, there were corny, the corny handshakes, uh, the the sound effects. Sound effects is probably the best part of the episode, though. Uh, it's just the the Twilight Zone. Uh, there's a reason that this episode is rated at the bottom as one of the worst in the first season. The Twilight Zone, their attempts at lighthearted comedy usually doesn't produce the best results. I understand that the episode was intended, you know, to air around Christmas, and they wanted a more lighter episode around that time. I understand the timing. It would have made sense, but, you know, it's just plain bad. I don't know. I don't know other describers to to give it. What do you think? It's your favorite, right? It made your top well, ten? Um, it's not as bad as I think it is. It's bad, but is it the worst of season one? Just yes. because it's the lowest rated no, of season one, the worst. is it the worst? Absolutely. You think so? Undeniably. In my opinion. Of course, that's why that's why we bring this to you guys out there in podcast yeah, land. It's not very good. Um, I did. I'm not gonna lie. I did laugh a couple times during this episode. Oh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 when he does the curveball and he, it sounds like one. What's well, one of them uh, things you used to get put in your mouth? Go like, the whistle yeah, things that you go. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think um, knowing the Twilight Zone like we know now, and what we have seen up to this point, that Rod don't do comedy. Stick to like the horror, the psych, the the scariness, the the twisting, the the sci-fi, um, the creatures, anything but comedy. Because I don't think he hit his mark on this one. Yeah, and it's not really all his fault. It's probably you know he had to rush and get it reshot, and you know I'd kind of like to see what the original product was to view it to this the final product. Um, it may have been something that was just rushed to you know put together to salvage something, so they didn't just have right. to scrap the whole episode too. So. Right. Well, I think that wraps up episode 35. The next the, the next time we meet, we will be uh, talking about the last episode of The Twilight Zone from the first season, episode 36. So, um, Eric, you got any last final thoughts or anything before we close this one out? No. A world of his own. We'll, we'll wrap up season one, and uh, yeah, I'm our, looking forward to it. It's, and it's, then stand by for our... Uh, post episode of the complete season one where we give out 
uh, our tragedy our, awards, our, right? Yeah, our tragedy TV the, series the, tragedy awards. The, the, the tragedies, as we call them. Yeah. So, uh, well, with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And take it away, Eric. And cut. Once upon a time, there was a major league baseball team called the Hoboken Zephyrs, who, during the last year of their existence, wound up in last place, and shortly thereafter, wound up in oblivion. There's a rumor, unsubstantiated, of course, that a manager named McGarry took them to the West Coast and wound up with several pennants and a couple of world's championships. This team had a pitching staff that made history. Of course, none of them smiled very much, but it happens to be a fact that they pitched like nothing human. And if you're interested as to where these gentlemen came from, you might check under B for Baseball in the Twilight Zone. Thank you.